as God intended. Let's go. Looking for Healing Radio, where pharmaceuticals are not medicine, but love always is. Thank you so much for listening in today. We have a great show. Oh, I can't wait to get to it. Uh, I'm Dr. H, and make sure you listen in with me and all of my healing homies, Nicola Burgonett, Dr. Jenna Schmidt, and Dr. Brian Artis, Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific, right here on the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network, and via recorded podcasts on AmericaOutloud.com. Also, you can listen to us on the iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora networks. Just download the America Out Loud phone app and enjoy wherever you like. Looking for Healing Radio is sponsored by GlobalHealing.com, simply the finest, most potent, most effective natural medicines in the world today. Feel the difference integrity and love for medicine making can make for you. Go to GlobalHealing.com and enter promo code OUTLOUD to discover the medicine God intended for us all. Get incredible deals and find Global Healing and all of the wonderful America Out Loud sponsors at AmericaOutloud.shop. All right, folks. Well, with all that being said, we have a great, great show for you today. I had so much fun last night. We did a free clinic at the Energetic Health Institute. We had so many people online with us, and I actually did something I'd never done before. I recorded stuff for class, but with a live audience uh, around, and it was a lot of fun. Got some great questions, got some great recordings, got some great education in. Um, today, we're going to have special guest Mike Donio on uh, with the end of COVID. So if you want to check out a really great um, educational opportunity coming up online, go to theendofcovid.com. We'll actually put, I think uh, I think you can put promo code EHI in, but if you can't, we'll provide a link in the show notes when this goes to, broadca- uh, to podcast. So you can click on that link, join them, and of course, help out the school uh, while we're going as well. We really appreciate that 100%. But Mike Donio, uh, in addition to being one of the executive producers working with Alex Zek on this incredible project, is he's also uh, somebody who refused the shots because he was in the biotech industry for over 15 years and he knew what this was and said, no way am I putting this in my body or my family's body. So he knew and he's going to educate us on a topic that's very, very important for us moving forward called plasmids. Plasmids are circular DNA um, that are now able to be produced in labs at incredibly high volume um, and allow them to, in my opinion, um, used as a, a weaponized deployment system. You know, you can put a bioweapon into a plasmid, infect a bacteria uh, or a prokaryote, infect a bacteria And that bacteria will then start either making whatever the weaponized payload is that's in that plasmid or start helping for the replication of those plasmids so that the bacteria can infect more uh, microorganisms. And in fact, that's my suspicion right now, working with the people who are recovering from being injured by the shots, is that we have a situation where the microbiome has been weaponized against them. And we're seeing that in our microbiome screenings. Uh, with them as well. We're seeing that they 
have colony collapse, like Dr. Sabine Hazan has been talking about, that we see that the bifidobacterium is getting wiped out, or the enterococcus is getting wiped out, or the lactobacillus is getting wiped out, and that other microorganisms are starting to overgrow. And we're seeing a lot of small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, SIBO. We're seeing a lot of dysbiosis where we have pathogenic bacteria taking up those spaces. We're seeing a tremendous amount of systemic yeast infections. And my grave concern is that those microorganisms have been genetically infected with plasmids and that they become now the incessant production site of the spike glycoprotein that we know to be absolutely lethal from a cellular perspective, really across the board. So what we had to explain in the folks I'm working with right now is why are we seeing symptom regression? We get a window open, um, the, the healing window opens, people start feeling better, and then the window slams shut and symptoms return with a vengeance. Why are we seeing that? Well, it would make sense that we're seeing that because bacteria that have been weaponized against the person can replicate within really as little as 20 minutes. So what you start doing, and this is my evolution in my educational process on plasmids, on pseudouridine, all the things we're learning right now, phosphodiesterase inhibitors, phospholipase inhibitors, and the roles of what's really going on in all of this is you know, in, in October of 2022, I was like, well, they've figured out how to genetically infect the uh, human genome. That is true. That is just matter of fact. Now, what I didn't appreciate in October of 22 was that if you can do that to a mammalian cell, can you do that to a, a microbiome? And that's what it appears has happened. So when people talk out there about shedding and what's being shed, I don't think it's spike glycoprotein anymore. In fact, I'm damn positive. It's not spike glycoprotein that's being shed. What's being shed are bacteria. Somebody wipes their nose, a little bacteria on there, that bacteria, uh, because they got the shot has now been genetically uh, infected with a plasmid um, or an mRNA sequence that gets translated now from that wipe of the nose to a handshake or on a, on a you know, on a plate or something like that, that's handed from one person to another that gets into the person's body. And now you have the explanation for why when people go out in public, especially last year, they were feeling a little woozy. People who weren't vaccinated or didn't get into damn shots started feeling woozy when they got or were around people who did get the damn shots. Well, there's your, there's your, uh, there's your shedding right there through the microorganisms. So my opinion today is they've weaponized it. And I want to give you a little history on that before Mike Donio comes on in the next segment, I want to give you some background. So plasmids, number one, are going to be self-replicating um, circular DNAs where they can put in whatever DNA sequence they want. They have an antibiotic resistance region on them. It explains why antibiotic resistance has been skyrocketing over the last couple of decades. It's not because they've been over-prescribing antibiotics. It's because they've been releasing weaponized, in my opinion, weaponized bacteria into the food system and into the water supply. And may, whether it's intentional or not, I don't know. But you know, if you just talk to people who work in these life science labs that mess around with this stuff all the time, they're like, you'd be shocked at what goes down the drain. Mike even told me off air about that. You'd be shocked at what people pour down the drain. It goes to the water treatment facility. It's not treated properly. And then it gets into circulation and we have a nightmare on our hands because people are in little labs acting like they're gods walking around in white coat and there's no real regulations. There's no real code of ethics. There's nothing essential to reining that in. Well, where did that idea come from? The idea, everyone, came from 
in my opinion, again, and I'm just giving my opinion on this, but it came from Nazi Germany. When you start looking at timelines, you have to understand some things. What were the Germans studying in Auschwitz? What were the Germans studying in Buchenwald? What were the study they studying in uh, Treblinka? What were they studying? They were studying how to control masses of population. Why? Because their army is made up of their male soldiers, you know, of all ages, was getting hammered. And they knew they weren't going to be able to control all of these vast swaths of countries and, and people who hate them with guns and bullets and bombing and things like that. They were going to have to do it more subtly. So what were they studying when they were experimenting on these Jewish people and, and, and prisoners of war in these extermination camps? And you have to understand there's, there were extermination camps and there were concentration camps. Well, the extermination camps were where they were doing their medical research. There are stories of General Patton in Buchenwald throwing up when he saw what was going on in those extermination camps, right? This is, this is General Patton being having his stomach turned by it. What were they studying? They were studying vaccines. What were they studying? Delivery of heavy metals into the body, how to get heavy metals, most notably at that time, aluminum. What were they studying? They were studying how to make someone more susceptible to thinking the way they wanted to do. And what did they learn? The first thing you have to have is nutrient deficiency. You have to have a malnourished body to make them susceptible. Number two, you have to put heavy metals into the central nervous system to, um, dis to disrupt neurologic function. Number three, you have to bring in some negative stimulus and some fear. You know, you can't just beat the crap out of people all the time. They'll eventually fight back. But if you just beat them enough or you watch, have them watch horrible things so that they don't want that happening, you can control them. You can, take, you can make them think what you want them to think. So then the Nazis took a step further and said, well, how are we going to take this information? We know that we need to get these things into these people's bodies. How are we going to do it? Well, that's where the waterways come in. And so the Nazis were working on building water treatment facilities throughout major cities. This is their plan. They're going to go, these, these conquered territories, they're going to start building water treatment facilities tell people that it's for their own good, and then they can put in, if there's ever a rebellion, they can drop some Zyklon B or something like that into the water and wipe out the rebellion because they know they're not going to be able to keep control over their vast empire without some mechanism of control, and that was going to be the water. So now you get to 1945. America comes in and kicks some ass, some righteous ass, General Eisenhower, General Patton said we should kill all of these Nazis. And instead, you have somebody, a spy in, in the United States by the name of Alan Dulles, who says, nope, we're not going to do that. Alan Dulles says instead that we're going to take those 1600 Nazi scientists and we're going to put them into the CIA. We're going to put them into um, NASA. We're going to put them into the alphabet soup of government agencies and give them unlimited funding so they can continue their work. They continue their work, and Alan Dulles magically becomes the director of the CIA until John F. Kennedy fires him. And of course, John F. Kennedy dies after he fires him. And then Alan Dulles finds himself on the Warren Commission, um, you know, investigating the assassination of JFK. You, you think there's a connection there, folks? This is all, you, everything I'm saying, you can go and prove for yourself. You can't make this stuff up. Alan Dulles is, is not only Operation Paperclip that brings these Nazi scientists into our country instead of killing them and destroying all their research, he also um, is MK Ultra. What were they studying? 
mind control. You got it. This is all about mind control. How do you control large populations and get them to do what you want them to do? How do you turn them into sheep? How do you turn free eagles into sheep? That's what they were trying to do. So 1948, we have the Federal Water Pollution Control Act. Guess what it creates? Water treatment facilities. Night Water Clean Water Act of 1964. Guess what it does? Starts putting fluoride into all waters. Well, what's fluoride from? Aluminum production. Gee, I wonder where that idea came from. You see where I'm going with this? You get to 1972. In 1972, they now create the first cloned plasmid. How crazy is that? Now we have a weapon delivery system that we're going to develop over the next 50 years. 1989, you get the first cloned mouse. 1996, you get the first cloned sheep. Remember Dolly? This is all of this Nazi German crap research, this unethical, godless research that they're doing, and we're funding it. You go a little bit fast forward, 1999, you get CRISPR found, right? These enzymes that can help these scientists be really precise with what they call gene editing. It ain't gene editing, it's gene infection, call it what it is. And then by 2015, you had Fang Zhang come on and he's this person that has really refined CRISPR. And now what they get in 2015 is CRISPR technology that allows them to scale up the use of plasmids, which is their primary weapon delivery system, so that they can use it globally. Then you get in 2017, President Trump's in and Fauci gives his prophetic declaration that there will be a pandemic during his presidency. Well, gee, how would you know that, Fauci? Maybe it had something to do with Wuhan Institute of Virology and you sending $7.4 million at least of American taxpayer money over there to continue research that was put on a moratorium for gain of function from UNC Chapel Hill over to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Yeah, this is all provable. Newsweek covered this, folks. You see the timeline now? They couldn't do what they wanted to do with this pandemic until CRISPR. CRISPR is what allowed them to scale up to a global scale and, and, and massively increase production of all this nonsense. That's what all of this was about. And what's the delivery system? The plasmid. So we're going to be talking about a lot more in the future is what you can do about it. Because one of the things we're going to show you how to do is take control of your water. I'm going to share with you a little quickly three-step process I'm doing with my water. And it's the best water I've ever had. And now I'm very confident I've eliminated my exposures to weaponized microorganisms, right? Weaponized microorganisms and plasmids. I got to make sure I reduce that for me and my family, those opportunities for exposure. Well, how do I do it? I take regular old tap water with all the crap in it. And I got uranium and arsenic and lead and all kind of crap in the tap water where I live. I run it through a gravity filter with a micron filter that is 0.01 in size or smaller. I take that water and then I put it into a heat distiller, simple tabletop. And so all this setup costs a couple hundred dollars, not problem at all. And then I take that distilled water and I run it through a structuring device, an energy structuring device. And when I tell you it is the best water I've ever had in my life, I mean it. It's the water the way God intended it. And I can feel the pollution, the little trace amounts of chemicals and things leaving my body. Now, every time I urinate, all the little aches and pains in my body are starting to go away after only a couple weeks of doing this because I'm cleaning my water up. And we are two thirds to three quarters water my people.
So we're going to show you how to do this. We're going to do some testing on it as well to prove it to you, but we're going to show you how to do it. But the proof is really always in how you feel. My skin looks great. I'm feeling great. I'm, you know, I'm able to do ridiculous amounts of work on these incredible topics. And why? Because I'm taking care of basics, my air, cleaning it, making it medicine, my water, cleaning it, making it medicine, my food, making sure it's organic, making sure there's no mRNA or CRISPR tech in it. And then from there, I have my basis established and now I can do a little supplementation and guess what? I'm going to be just fine. I'm not a vector for their evil. I'm not a incubation point for their evil. But folks, there's some crazy stuff about plasmids we're going to be teaching you over the next, I don't know, we'll, we'll, we won't do it every single week, but we're going to be doing it for a little bit. And I just got to tell you, it's going to blow your mind and we're going to show you what you can do about it from filtering your water and taking control of your water, taking control of your food to also making sure that you are putting plasmid curing compounds into your body on a regular basis. So if you do come in contact with plasmids and genetically infected microorganisms, you can actually kill them off and you can live that healthy, happy life that you are working so hard to achieve. This is essential for people who are recovering. It's essential for people who want to stay healthy. So we'll be right back with Mike Donio and more looking for healing radio right after these messages. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Be a part of a revolutionary new healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interests of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's fast-paced digital age makes it tougher. You're not alone. Poor sleep affects over 70% of us. The CDC even labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake refreshed. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep using calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support. Over a thousand reviews with an average star rating of over 4.4 proves it works. Take back your sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day. Yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. 
right, healers, welcome back. Uh, Looking for Healing Radio is also sponsored by the Energetic Health Institute, an amazing school for amazing students just like you. The best way to be free is to be healthy. Learn how at energetichealthinstitute.org. Holistic nutrition, fasting, detoxification, art of cellular healing. We have a great class starting on August 1st. We only have a few places, a few seats left in. So if you're recovering from these damn shots and, or, you know, somebody that is, or you want to be someone that can help folks recover from the damn shots, make sure and check out the artist cellular healing certification on energetichealthinstitute.org. And we just did a massive update on it with so much stuff. I'm so excited to share with you. We're going to actually share some of that today with our special guest, uh, Mike Donio. So make sure and enjoy the, uh, join the EHI family and let's make tomorrow amazing. Go to energetichealthinstitute.org. All right. Like I said, joining us today, very special guest, uh, um, Mike Donio, and he's a um, executive producer. I, I, forgive me if I'm not using the correct terminology, Mike, but executive producer for uh, in uh, the endofcovid.com, which is a great series that he and Alex Zek and their incredible team are putting together for the public to say, look, we got to move beyond the problems. We got to move into solutions, right? We got to be solution oriented. So brother Mike, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for jumping on on short notice. Folks, we were talking this morning about plasmids and he, he, I'm bringing you again, somebody that you maybe haven't met, but who loves you anyway. Um, and he's an expert on plasmids. And, uh, and this is going to be the topic today. You know, I mean, I, this is going to have to become the topic of our time and really immediately because we are behind on this topic. And Mike's going to let you know just how behind we are today. So uh, after we're done, maybe a little good earthing, <laughs> maybe take off the shoes and just go let some sunshine and some nature wash your spirit clean because you're going to hear some stuff that's going to flip your lid, I think, today. Uh, but uh, Mike, you, you made a big, important decision for you and your family um, early on when the shots became available. Uh, why don't you tell everybody about your decision for you and your family and why you made that decision? Yeah. Um, so I was a senior scientist at a biotech company <clears throat> and, um, you know, just like pretty much every company across the industry, they rolled out a jab mandate and, um, Unlike a lot of my peers, I took the time to look into what these technologies were that they're calling vaccines. Not sure I'd even call them that. And uh, the companies that are developing them. And very quickly, I noticed some things that surprised me and, you know, set off a lot of red flags. And they all kind of condense around this idea of, um, you know, what was usually formerly known as kind of recombinant DNA technology, the manipulation of, of DNA or RNA, and then introducing that into to a cell. And that is a process known as transfection. And so all of these different agents that are now being used as vaccines kind of share some commonalities in that they're different types of transfections at the, at the core of it. And once I saw that and realized what they were. And this is something I've worked with throughout my career. Um, I just said, no, I, I, there's no way I'm putting that in my body and I wouldn't advise it to anybody. Um, you know, the limited amount of testing that's been done and the scale at which they're putting these out. I mean, it just, it made no sense to me. Um, and that's on top of my, my deep spiritual beliefs, but I, I, 
largely I did a lot of research and, you know, saw these, these kinds of red flags. How long have you been, were you working in that industry? Um, so, so I was at my last job at the biotech company for five years, but um, I've spent uh, at least 15 years out of my 20 year career in pharma or biotech. Wow. So, and, and you've risen through the ranks and you became a, a senior uh, to a senior level position and everything. So you know what you're talking about clearly and you understand what's going on. Um, what was something in your research that immediately was like, nope, I'm not doing this and, and this isn't going on. What, what, what jumped for you? Um, so I guess I focused probably a little bit more on the, the modified RNA, mRNA technologies. And, you know, when I was looking at how and why they were modifying the mRNAs, um, knowing that mRNA itself is rapidly degraded usually. And one of the reasons for that is because it's highly immunogenic. It, it, it will um, drive a strong uh, inflammatory response if it's not rapidly degraded. That's one of the things. And so if you're manipulating that um, to persist longer, you know, then clearly you're, you're asking for trouble there um, as well as the potential for things that can happen. Um, I hate to use to, to talk about the idea of integration because it's, it's theoretical, but for so long, people thought that this process of um, the gene, the, how the genome works, it's called the central dogma, right? Kind of funny how they use that name dogma, but um, where we go from DNA to RNA to protein and that it was this a one-way street. Well, now we know that that's not the case. Right. Um, and it's possible that you could get conversion back and go the opposite direction. And so, you know, as I started to dig deeper into this and then, of course, understand that the whole route of how they were getting this modified uh, mRNA into the cell was effectively a type of transfection that utilizes um, lipids. So in the lab, we there are multiple different kinds of these transfections, a mechanism by which you get nucleic acid into a eukaryotic cell. And one of them utilizes lipids and effectively you create these lipid nanoparticles that encase the DNA and enable it, uh, its movement across the cell membrane. And I saw really quickly that that was, you know, the same idea that was being utilized um, with, with these MR, modified mRNAs that were put into these lipid nanoparticles. Well, and, and let now audience, let's, let's unpack a little bit because Mike just said a whole bunch of stuff right there. Okay. And um, the first thing is that he's confirming that yes, they had to figure out how to make sure the MRNA sequence didn't get rapidly degraded when it was introduced into the body, because that's what the body wants to do. MRNA, like Mike is saying, if it doesn't get degraded, it's highly immunogenic, meaning it's going to mount, it's going to launch the body into an immune response because the body understands that's not supposed to happen. So the way that they did that was Catalan Carrico um, and it, with her work and, and, and was it Wiseman, their work on the N1 methylated pseudouridine. Am I correct in saying that, Mike? Yes. Right. And, this, and, and those two are tracking for actually a Nobel Prize for, for this ridiculous scientific discovery that's definitively involved in injuring people. And we've laid this out 
previously in a video that we published earlier this year on pseudouridine and the incredible problems with the prolonged manufacture of pseudouridine by the body. See, it's it, to simplify this, everyone, they're introducing a synthetic pseudouridine, N1-methylated pseudouridine in the mRNA so that the mRNA doesn't break down. And then that allows for constant replication of that code, of that instruction code. In this case, we're, they're saying it's spike glycoprotein. But what it also does is it inspires the body to stay in a constant production of interferon. And we know that interferon has the body turn on its own pseudouridine enzymes so that your body starts making its own pseudouridine. And when that happens, you get changes in the protein synthesis that leads to massive errors in protein synthesis and therefore sets the stage for things like uh, chronic fatigue on a massive scale and cancer. And that's, the, I think, Mike, what you're alluding to with this, these downfield problems that were really easy to see if you did any research into it. And that helped you go, you know what? No, we're not, I'm not doing this for me or my family. Is that, am I accurate with that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, um, so now we have, we have to have some, some conversations here because um, <laughs> I was blown away when I started researching all this stuff. I, I didn't think they were this far along. I didn't think the research and what was going on in these biotech labs and everything all around the world was this far along. I know, I know better now. Um, we know now that the plasmids, the delivery system, or, or the, the most used tool um, in this industry is, uh, is, um, was first developed or first able to be used of any significance after 1972 so that we have 50 years of, of work and highly funded work <laughs> going into this. So give us all a basic education on what a plasmid is and why it's such a universally used tool and expected skill set for someone in, in this life sciences kind of uh, field. Yeah. So essentially a plasmid is at its core, a circular piece of DNA. It becomes a vector when it contains a code, um, a piece of DNA that encodes a gene or maybe multiple genes, um, if you're thinking about a genome of something. And so then it becomes a, a vector, which is a means of transferring that DNA into a cell for whatever purpose you're you're doing it, which, you know, there can be several, maybe you want to express a specific protein in, in that cell to study its function or, you know, something else that you want to do. But the whole idea is you, you can manipulate these circular pieces of DNA to introduce different, um, different pieces of DNA that encode genes and they also contain various elements that are required for um, the expression of those genes. And one of the things is, so there's usually two different components to these vectors. Some, some of them only have one part, but a lot of them the, the, have two components. And one is about selection in bacteria. Bacteria are used to grow and amplify these, these plasmid vectors so that they can be scaled up to then do perform the transfection experiments to introduce them into cell lines and then study the resulting uh, protein products. 
Um, so you, in order to do that, you need to have genes uh, for antibiotic selection and elements that will necessitate replication of the plasmid in a bacteria. But then on the other side, if your end goal is to put that into a eukaryotic cell, you have to have the required elements to, to be able to express whatever you're doing in that cell too. So in a lot of cases, you have both sides of that um, in that same plasmid. And so, um, yeah, largely it's this, this circular piece of DNA that you can manipulate and put things in or out of. And this gets at the whole crux of this recombinant DNA technology. This is a technology at its core. It's not really science. We're manipulating something for, for an end. We're manipulating DNA. We're, we're taking things out, putting things in. There are very specific ways in which you can cut these things. There's something that's called a restriction enzyme. And so this allows the DNA to be cut at a very specific sequence in a specific way. And so we can go in, it's almost like a special kind of scissors or something you can imagine that chops these things up and opens them so that you can then introduce another piece in it and then you close it. This is a process called ligation. And then you can amplify that up and then do other things with it. Um, yeah, that, that's a lot of... <laughs> the whole lot in there. A lot of information. It, it doesn't sound good, folks, does it? So <clears throat> here's the idea, everyone. Um, so we're looking at a circular piece of, of DNA. Now, these plasmids were first identified in bacteria, in, in uh, pro, prokaryotes, right? Is, am I saying that even right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's, let's give everybody some... Let's give you some decoder keys here, everyone, okay? So first of all, you have prokaryotes and eukaryotes. Prokaryotes do not have a nucleus, but they will have their own DNA. So this is bacteria predominantly. My suspicion, Mike, is that prokaryotes, bacteria, <clears throat> are the preferred um, method, the, the preferred microorganism for this because it's more easy. It's they're easier to work with because they don't have a, a nucleus that you have to get through. Is that a true statement? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And then you have eukaryotes, which are going to be yeast and mammalian cells, for example. Those require more steps, more things that you have to do to actually get what you're trying to do, this, this editing, this, uh, this genetic infection into them, right? So a um, little bit more challenging, not impossible, but a little bit more challenging. Now, these plasmids um, are now naturally occurring in bacteria, but now they are synthetically create used in labs. Still, am I still on track here? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm going to just, I want to, I want to walk the audience through this. We're going to have more, have to have more than one conversation on this. Clearly we're going to, we got to, we got to educate you on this folks. They have a origin of replication region so that they can be self-replicating. Is that a true statement? Um, well, so that they can be replicated. I, they still require components that are within the cell. Within the cell, right. They use the cell to self to replicate, but they can't just do it out in thin air. They have to be exactly. within the cell. Right. right. Okay. Um, but they can replicate within the cell. They have a region often which has an antibiotic resistant region so that you can study them because you want to be able to differentiate which microorganisms have been um, transfected versus which ones haven't and be able to separate those two. So you can clear your studies. 
Um, and then they have a promoter region, something Kevin McKernan has been talking a lot about. They have a promoter region that ensures that whatever DNA sequence you want to study can be expressed. Am I on track here with this? Yeah. Yeah. The promoter region is literally promotes the formation of a transcription complex. Transcription is the process by which the DNA is, uh, is transcribed, is, is converted into RNA. Into the messenger RNA with the or, instruction code to go find a ribosome and then make the protein sequence. Right. So yes. it's basically, it, let me, let me summarize it before we go to break folks. We're, it's basically, we, they're going to put something that they can, they can create and use the plasmid to deliver whatever DNA sequence they want to be able to go through this process within the microorganism or within any, most types of cells to produce whatever protein or whatever code for whatever protein they want. It's basically hijacking the normal workings of a cell to produce what you want to be able to produce. Right. Um, and it's dangerous. And so when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about ethics on it, um, because I have a question about plasmid curing compounds and how much <laughs> is known about that. But um, folks, it's, uh, it's something that we have to become aware of, because in my opinion right now, it doesn't seem to be a great regulation on it. It doesn't seem to be a lot of ethics uh, surround it and surrounding it. It seems to be like this new thing that a kid is playing with as if it's a toy. And it's a really dangerous, in my opinion, it's a really dangerous approach um, to this because it allows for the weaponizing of bacteria. And that's one of my big concerns and what we've been seeing clinically and working with people who are, we are helping recover from these damn shots, um, that this is a nightmare uh, for them and a, a harbinger of what is to come if we don't take action on this very, very quickly. So we write back with uh, uh, plasmid expert, uh, Mike Donio and more looking for healing radio right after these messages. We are fighting the ultimate fight between good and evil. AmericaOutloud.com replaces groupthink with innovative thing. Well, it was Walt Whitman, the poet who said, keep your face always toward the sunshine and shadows will fall behind you. America Out Loud Talk Radio, the liberty and justice for all. Millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of the toxic spike protein. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed their spike support formula to counteract harmful spike protein from COVID-19 and vaccines so you can feel your best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. All right, healers, welcome back. We're here with special guest Mike Donio plasmid expert, someone who has at least 15 years of experience working with something we all have to become acquainted with very, very quickly. Um, Mike, uh, I want to jump right into it because we we're, we're seeing something that I couldn't explain. I hadn't seen it before in, uh, in medicine, um, in my clinical experience, uh, in 25 years of clinical experience before. And that is you, we would start getting, helping people, students who are studying, they'd start opening up healing windows where they're feeling better and they're definitively getting over the hump. And I had, I've had students call me crying because it was the first day or two that they had felt good in 
years and they didn't know that that was possible, right? They just, it was amazing, right? So we see the window open and I'm like, great, we got it. Now we know what we're doing. All we got to keep is now keep moving forward with this. But then something would happen in every single case. So it wasn't just this one isolated thing. We see the window slam shut and return of symptoms. And it was coming up around full moons, which started making me go, okay, this is when we know there are parasites are more active and microorganisms are more active. We've just observed this in natural medicine over the years. So it's one of the things we know about. And so we started listening to some of Dr. Sabine Hazan's work on colony collapse um, and there being no bifidobacterium. And I'm like, I have to start being able to explain what's going on. And we actually confirmed her work in our independent um, research that we were doing with, uh, with lab testing with some of the students who wanted to go through it. So we have confirmation on colony collapse where there are whole populations of bacteria that should be in the, in the microbiome that are no longer there, right? Um, and so we had to explain that. And that's what took me to Kevin McKernan's work on plasmids as we started studying the adenoviral vector, the Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca shot. And I was like, I just don't think I understand those shots. The N1 methylated shots, the Moderna and Pfizer, I feel like I had understood those pretty well, right? And the nonsense of those. But the adenoviral vector, I didn't understand. So we went to study it. And what did we see? An adenoviral vector, an adenovirus with a um, plasmid attached to it for entry into the cell, you know, and genetic in, uh, infection of the cell. Um, and so I had to explain this and I just, I, I, right now where I'm at with it is what we're seeing is rapid is that the microbiome has likely been weaponized in these people and we're getting rapid. The regression of symptoms correlates with the rapid replication rate of bacteria, which can replicate a lot faster than a mammalian cell. Um, hearing all that stuff, you know, first of all, what immediate thoughts do you have? And I guess my question is with the theory I'm, I'm proposing right now and the, in your knowledge of what this technology can do, is, is this possible to weaponize a microbiome um, against the organism, the host organism. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of things that are possible that people don't realize um, in terms of what's being studied and attempted in in labs. Um, being able to translate that into what's exactly is going to happen when you put something into a, a human being is an entirely different story. Um, we, we do a lot of manipulation of things in labs, and it actually has turned out um, that a lot of what we do in labs, say in preclinical studies in drug development, doesn't predict at all what's going to happen in a human. So it's, it's a little bit challenging to say, just because I can manipulate this vector and get it to express something or do something to bacterial cells or, or a eukaryotic mammalian cell in a culture, you know, that that's exactly what it's going to do if I introduce it in a certain way into a, a living human being. But I mean, I think you can see avenues by which, you know, these things could, could create a lot of damage. Um, and, you know, one example of that is if we look at kind of classical gene therapy, where they use these similar, you know, kind of um, adenoviral vectors or other similar kinds of things. Um, separate, this is 
more along that line, not so the modified mRNA is kind of a second generation version of that, right? It was always supposed to be not a vaccine, but a, but a kind of a second gen gene therapy because the first gen gene therapies were a disaster in, in the clinic, causing a lot of cancers and deaths. And so, you know, there, there's definitely knowledge that those things are extremely toxic. So, I mean, there's definitely correlation there. Um, you know, whether or not, you know, anybody's drawn like a really clear link, not entirely sure, but, you know, well, there is the, there is the Jesse Gesslinger case, um, from 1999 that shut down the entire adenoviral vector platform. And there was a definitive link established there, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That was kind of what I was getting to. Well, just give me a background. Um, so everyone, there was a 18 year old young man who was uh, given a adenoviral vector, I think this was 1999, um, died a few days later after having it administered. They couldn't immediately mm, draw correlation um, between the shot and not, but come on. Um, but then they did a follow-up study with it and the follow-up study showed pretty conclusively, excuse me, and I'm back. Uh, the follow-up study pretty conclusively showed that um, it was the adenoviral vector and things going wrong. And I, my suspicion is that's where we get into pseudouridine and, and we get into hyperimmune response and we get into, um, you know, rapid system failure, you know, as a result of it. But um, anyway, I just wanted to give everybody a little background on that. I don't let keep on going. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I think you're, you're spot on there. It's, you know, there's more than enough potential for these things to create a lot of havoc. E even if we don't know maybe the, the specific mechanisms, you can clearly draw a correlation and, um, you know, the, the things that they're going to do, I mean, yeah, it's a lot of, um, it can create a lot of damage. Uh, certainly. Um, yeah. I mean, and we've, and like you said, we've seen that and that, that one case is, is a, a really good example of where it can go horribly wrong. Yeah, what blew me away about that case is it it shuttled the entire adenoviral vector platform, which had been in development, according to Walter Dorfler, you know, all the way back to like 1968 or something like that. They were really kind of looking at that plasmids, not I think associated with it at that time, because plasmids don't come on until 1972. But what was really interesting about that was it was shuttled, but then for some reason they dusted it off for Johnson and Johnson during a pandemic, like, why would you do that? It was, it didn't work. <laughs> well, adenoviral expression systems have still been used in labs. Okay. It's just, they maybe shelved it with respect to clinical evaluation, but they certainly have still been worked with and utilized in labs to, as a means of trans, transducing, transfecting um, different kinds of genetic material into cells. So- Wow. I mean, it's a highly efficient means of, of doing so, even more so than other uh, transfection methods. There, there's two things I got to I gotta ask you about. All right. I've just <laughs> been I've, in the research I've been doing on it. I've been reading like crazy. I'm, I'm a novice beyond novice at this. I'm just really an investigative kind of uh, medical professional at this point um, into it. And I'm like, I'm trying to get myself really oriented to what this is and the potential of it. Right. Um, the first question I have for you is some, I've seen something that's been curious by its absence in the literature. 
um, as I've read so many papers now on it and everything, and I've read through so much that AdGene has published, they, I think they've put so much out there for public consumption. Um, I see mammalian cells, I see plant cells, I see bacterial cells, and I see yeast. One of the things I'm wondering about, have you ever worked with reptilian cells? Nah, no, I don't believe I have, actually. I've worked with a lot of different cell types, but I don't think that one. That's been interesting for me. Do you know if there's any reason why they wouldn't, they have been studying every other cell type. Do you know why they wouldn't be studying reptilian cells on some level? I, I can't think of a, of a reason. I know that there's, you know, a lot of the cell types that are in, you know, in use are so because they're just easy to work. They're easy to work with. They're easy to grow. They're easy to manipulate. I mean, Right. I mean, it just, it felt to me like if you're working on mammalian cells and we see this all over the place, right? The 293 T line, and I'm sure they're using HUH 7.0 and some of the liver cell lines, some of the human cell lines and stuff like that. We know they're using simian cell lines or they're using canine cell lines. I mean, you, these are common things, right? Oh yeah. Very right. Nice. So, right. So my curiosity is just why don't, do we, are there reptilian cell lines to study? I mean, have you ever heard of this? I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. There's you, if you go and look in different cell line repositories and stuff, you can find cell lines from lots of different, uh, organisms. So yeah, I wouldn't shock have, me, but I, but yeah, you don't, but you don't see it as a stand. Like it's definitely a lot of it to me, it's looked like a lot of E. coli is being used, um, which is always interesting to me because we have so many E. coli outbreaks <laughs> now. Right. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah. All right. Well, that was, thanks for that. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't crazy. Cause I've been looking and I'm like, this is curious by its absence to me, you know, and all this. Um, and, um, and then the other question I had was, I, I think I've been saying something wrong and you, you really, you really educated me well on this, this morning. Um, we were talking about transfection and getting the plasmid into a cell. And I had said mistakenly, I think electrophoresis. And you had corrected me on that. So, well, it's actually not electrophoresis. It's something else. What, can you educate our audience on how, um, on how they're getting a plasmid into a cell, especially if it's, it's not a simple, you know, transfection, like what are they doing? And, and then you, can you please make sure you mention the stuff about the nucleus too? <laughs> oh, yes, 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 yes. No, definitely. Um, so again, transfection is this process by where you introduce genetic material, DNA, RNA into eukaryotic cells, eukaryotes, um, yeah. which you explain that if, if you are doing something similar and in introducing that genetic material into a prokaryotic, prokaryotic cell, bacterial cell, whatever, that's called transduction. Mm -hmm. So there's different terms that are used, but it's a similar idea. Okay. Um, in terms of transfection, there's three main modes or methods that are used commonly. And one is a chemical uh, transfection. This is where we most commonly use nowadays something that's called lipofection. So this, this really is very similar to what's occurring in the modified mRNA vaccines where they're using lipid nanoparticles. So it's the same exact kind of idea where you encase the nucleic acid in, you know, a, a, in lipids and then utilize that to shuttle it into the, across the cell membrane into the cell. Uh, another method is uh, using, I guess, viral transduction. This would be adenoviral or lentiviral mm -hmm. vectors. 
Mm-hmm. And then the last one is called electroporation. So this is, it's literally, if you look at the term electro, el- electrical impulse, and then poration means the formation of pores. So it uses an electrical impulse to create pores in the cell membrane. And so there's, there's different versions of this. The most crude is just subject the cells. You hit them with a pulse of electricity and you kind of create pores just in the cell membrane. And then the, the, the DNA or RNA can get through those um, kind of by itself. You, there, there more recently has been the advent of a technique which supposedly um, can not only punch holes in the cell membrane, but also in the nucleus. And this is called nucleoporation. So it uses a more sophisticated, you know, perhaps more targeted, uh, you know, blast of uh, electricity that punctures further deeper into the cell, right? And so that not only is it allowing for transfer in through the cell membrane, but also in through the nucleus, because the nucleus has its own kind of membrane and is not equally, um, equally, not easily, I should say, transmissible. So you need to have something to get across into the nucleus. And of course, the nucleus is the home of the, the replication machinery. Um, so when you're talking about then going and having that plasmid replicate and transcribe it into mRNA and then be, be translated into protein, you've got to get it into the nucleus. So one of the ways there, you know, you, if you can punch holes all the way through in, then you can go straight there instead of having to, um, with standard electroporation, you just get bypass the cell membrane. You're into the, say the cytosol, the, the inner kind of mm-hmm. um, stuff inside the cell, but then you've got the problem of getting delivery through into the nucleus, which there's ways of doing that. But, you know, again, if you can kind of poke holes and go straight through, it's right. Or direct, direct delivery. And you get a greater, good, you get essentially greater efficiency with what you're doing, right? Which yes. is it's the goal in a lab. You want to be efficient with what you're studying and what you're developing and all that. You know, what, what blows me away with all this, Mike, is, is it does make me question the role of 5G in this. And it does make me question whether 5G is going to, it plays an important role in electroparesis, you know, and that's, that's something I'm going to have to go and ask that question. I haven't gone down that rabbit hole. I'll have to go talk to some of my 5G experts on it, but do we have cell studies on 5G that show that it facilitates electroparesis? Because if it does, then that explains why it would be rolled out during a supposed pandemic. Mm-hmm. Or it's not, it is a pandemic, a supposed pandemic. Um, I've yeah. been saying pandemic so much, it's just <laughs> a word that I use, right? But, right. but this is this is crazy to me. So uh, to, to me, everyone, um, and Mike, thanks for joining us today. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to wrap it up for everybody. We're gonna bring you back, all right? Because I, I want I, you're gonna be my expert on the air for for plasmids and everything, life sciences. But in, in wrapping this up today, everybody, um, you know, I think the message is that stuff we see in movies is real. They are f- way further along than I had suspected in October of 21. I knew they were far along. I didn't know they were this far along. And for Mike to be able to come on with 15 years experience and go, look, this is just common knowledge. This is just matter of fact in the industry, right, Mike? Yeah. It's just matter of fact, we use plasmids, we can put whatever we want in there. You know, my, my one question, I guess, before we go, Mike, would just be, 
what's the safety mechanism for labs? Like what's the, what's the safe conduct? You know, like, Hey, I made something. I didn't realize how dangerous it was. It's actually incredibly lethal. (laughs) (laughs) Whoops. Um, What's the safety? Like when we've, we've been researching plasmid curing compounds uh, in vivo, what, what's, what do you do? What, What is there a safety? Is there a regulation for you all? That's like, Hey, don't do this. Um, what, what goes on behind the scenes? Um, I mean, there are general guidelines in terms of biosafety regulations, um, when you're working with specific things that, you know, require you to have the lab outfitted in certain, certain ways to protect, uh, the scientists or to, you know, I guess if something were to be, you know, taken to to prevent something from getting out of the lab in different ways, um, but really there's not, I mean, in terms of like preventing somebody from doing various different things, I mean, I suppose there, there's probably certain laws on the books, but clearly there's certain people that don't necessarily adhere to those laws. Um, I've created things that probably weren't the wisest things to create in labs. Um, if one time it was somewhat accidental, but um, you know, let's just say it, it ha- sometimes it happens unintentionally, intentionally. I don't, you know, there probably should be a lot more tight constraints on this work. And it's kind of, there's a lot of um, ambiguity in labs with respect to what, what goes on and what can be done. That, that was my suspicion, reading through the literature and everything. And thank you for confirming that. That's terrifying now. Now I'm going to have trouble sleeping tonight, but we'll we'll go. Like I said, folks, you're probably going to want to take off your shoes, go earth a little bit, get out in nature today. Um, and just remember that God's got this, right? God's got this. Okay. This is man being a little child playing with Legos and again, and, and not realizing these Legos can be lethal. Um, so we're going to have to put some regulations on this uh, in a big way. Uh, we'll talk more about that in another one. But Mike, thanks for joining us today. Um, I wish we could have, a, we're going to have more conversations with Mike Donio, folks. Uh, I was been been waiting to get an expert in this field out here for you. We got one. So thanks for joining us. Uh, remember, folks, the only medicine is natural medicine because natural medicine first does no harm. We got a lot we have to unlearn and we have a lot we got to wrangle in apparently as well too, and we will. All right, but we're going to make sure we do it with love, logic, and light. So healers, remember that we are beings of light and remember to look within first when you're looking for healing. May God shine his divine light down upon us all, everyone we love and surround us in the protection of his warm and healing embrace. I'm Dr. Henry Ely. On behalf of all of my healing homies, uh, please make sure you join us uh, on Looking for Healing Radio every Monday through Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific, right here on the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network. And until we meet again, I say to you all, aloha and adios. Adios.